Welcome to Design Meets Business, a show that inspires designers to think beyond pixels. I'm your host, Christian Vasile, and on this podcast, I sit down with creatives to talk about their stories, lessons they've learned during their careers, and how you can use design to make a bigger impact in your organization. Today, we're talking to Rick Veronese. Rick is an Italian designer based in the UK, from where he runs a small design shop focusing on fintech and prop tech companies. In this episode, he's sharing with us the hustle of becoming a designer, what's important when going freelancing, and how he deals with clients in difficult situations. Rick, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. It's uh, really a pleasure to have you here. You're working today as a freelancer, just like I am, and you're trying to nail down that fintech niche. So we're, we'll be talking about that a bit later, because I think that's really interesting. But first, before we go into all that design talk, tell me a bit about yourself. How did you end up in the UK, right? Because you're from Italy. And if you remember, I love asking this question. What's the moment that made you want to become a designer? Right. Okay. Uh, so there's a bit to unpack because obviously, um, when you move countries, as you know, there's a lot of things that you need to learn. And my, you know, the naive me about maybe six or seven years ago thought that just moving to starting a new career in design that and moving to a new country at the same time would be a great idea <laughs> yeah. uh, without knowing the language or anything. So, um, I moved uh, here in the UK. I'm in Bristol currently um, from Italy about six years ago. And I got into design by chance, to be honest with you. Uh, it's not a romantic story or anything. It's it's actually, you know, I started Googling jobs that I could do online. You know, you know one of those top 10 lists, uh, blog posts? Yes. That, yeah. That's exactly how it happened. And I thought, well, I think, you know, I'm, I consider myself a creative person. So I'm going to give it a go. And that's it. That's how I fell in love with it. To be honest, I spent, you know, spent nights on trying to learn graphic design at the beginning and then web design and coding and things like that. And that's when I decided to get serious with it. But at the time, I couldn't find a job in Italy. I wasn't trusting that I would find a job. So I moved to the UK with my then girlfriend and now wife. That's basically how I started my career uh, by making websites online so just as a web designer and after a couple of years i wasn't happy with that anymore i decided to specialize and become a ux designer because you know that was the boom like a few years ago that's when everyone was becoming a ux designer people that have been you know that were doing it for years were like oh now you're waking up <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, welcome to the party exactly exactly that's how I started and I found a full-time job as a designer, which was a quite a big step for me because I, you know, having all myself design from my bedroom back in Italy, uh, going to work for a company in a, in a different country, in a language that wasn't mine, so I wasn't that comfortable in expressing concepts and, and things like that. That was a big step. So when, it, when that started, everything changed uh, in terms of how my career evolved. The plan was always to get into uh, the industry, if you will, work for companies for a few years, and then eventually set out on my own and, and you know just do my own thing. And that's you know that's pretty much what brings us here today. Uh, I've been at it at full time for some time. I realized I wasn't really feeling with you know jiving with the company politics and, and things like that. 
I decided to scale down in a way. I used to work for a big company in the UK. I decided to scale down and work for startups closely with the CEO and the CTO and the founding team. And from there, that was just, you know, what jump-started my freelance career a few months ago. Nice. That's a good, good background story. I love the fact that you're, you just looked at the list and just picked one, picked one thing from the list and that's how you started. It's random, right? It's so random, but I guess it turned out for the best, didn't it? Let's stay on that topic a bit because I wanted to talk to you about education, design education. Some people have a degree in design and they've used that as a catalyst for their careers. Some other people have a degree in design and they haven't really used that at all. Like me, for example, I used to do work before getting my degree. So the degree was more of a checklist exercise for me. And there are, there's the third type of people like you who don't have a degree yet somehow are still successful in the industry. So there must be a lot of steps in between deciding to become a designer and where you are today in terms of learning. So let's talk a bit about how you got here from a learning perspective. What, how, what, where did you learn? Was it all online? Did you do any courses or anything? Reading articles on Medium? Or how did you do this? How did you get here? Yeah, that's a great question. I think for you, for example, that you have a degree, the path is completely different in a way because you know that's what you're studying and what you're going to do. Uh, and sometimes not even that. You know, Sometimes I, I reckon people finish design school and, and decide that maybe it's not for them. They're going to do something different. You know, Totally, yeah. But for me, yeah, it was a lot of what you said, to be honest, a lot of the online courses. So I would work a few months to try to get a client. And then whatever money I would get from that, uh, we use it to buy a new course, you know, some books about design or anything that would interest me, basically. And I thought would upgrade me as a designer uh, and as a professional in general, I would invest in. So I think that makes a difference. So it has to be uh, self-initiated in a way. You need to be really uh, aware that you need to work harder than maybe the people that had have degrees and you need to have that kind of discipline to just you know have work ethic to be able to uh, bridge that gap your story is all about hustling i guess and i love that because a lot of people starting in design don't necessarily or didn't necessarily have to hustle the way you did so i guess what's happening when you start the way you did is that you are so committed to it because you know that you need the next client to buy the next course and then you buy the next course and you upgrade your skills and then you move on you need the next client again so it's a it's it's a big commitment to say well i'm going to spend so much money on a course that probably forces you to uh, or motivates you to stick to that path right uh, exactly and you know the way you said it is right but i also think you know you say you invest in a course i actually see it as an investment in myself so it's a change of perspective you know if i'm investing in myself i'm you know, I'm going to spend whatever money. I don't care. If the result me improved by whatever, it's, it's, it's going to be a good investment. Uh, it doesn't matter how much it is or how I'm going to get the money. I mean, in legal ways, obviously. Uh, sure. <laughs> yeah, but it's worth it. It's, it's worth investing in yourself like that. I love it. I, the reason I wanted to talk about this is because I think design is becoming more and more of a cool job to have. So a lot of people grow up thinking they want to do something creative, 
but don't believe in the classical path of going to school. And then they have a lot of questions of how do I go from where I am right now to become a designer that's worth hiring or to be able to provide some value to my clients? Hopefully your story will be a bit of a inspiration because that is how you start. You know, you do one course, you get better. You do another one, you get better. You maybe get a client where you get to apply some of this knowledge. You get better every, at every single step, you get better. It's like Karate Kid polishing the windows, you know, just doing doing the works. That's such a great example. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So you've been in-house for a little bit. You said earlier you got tired of it and then you moved into freelancing. What made you go into freelancing other than the fact that maybe you were not really feeling it that much uh, in-house? I, I, that was always the plan, right? So the plan was to, uh, being a freelance web designer, uh, I was liking the idea of being successful, but I wasn't at the time. You know, I was just <laughs> trying to make ends meet and I was working time in, in retail, you know? So it's not like I went full on uh, with web design. I was so talented that I would get clients every week. Uh, so it was a bit, you know, it was a struggle. Uh, don't get me wrong. It's, it, I think I needed to go through it to understand what I needed to do. So struggle is great. But uh, I think that the way, the way it happened is I, I work full time, right? So I really like the, uh, the vibe, the environment. Actually, I was working in, in a great company. I like the people I was working with, like the projects and things like that. And everything was new and everything was exciting. Then eventually we got bought out and I don't want to get too much into the details, but there's a shift in culture sometimes with companies get acquired and there's new teams, different ways of working and things like that. Uh, and I experienced that and it, I didn't like it because, you know, everything before was just really great to be working with them. It was just a, a good team. And then eventually you got into the politics and the way it ended, I, I didn't really like that vibe. So I decided to transition eventually to a position that would be more of um, just like a, a connector, if you will, between the, the founding team in small startups. That's pretty much how it started. Going freelance is a risk, isn't it? So not only that, going freelance in itself is a risk, but isn't going even deeper down in a niche, even more of a risk, because that's what you've done, right? You've, you've niched down on fintech. Yes, I, I did. Yeah, it's a risk. It's a risk, like what in life isn't a risk, to be honest with you. <laughs> you know, I've got that kind of mentality. So I'm, I'm pretty uh, prone to risk, uh, which I appreciate not everyone is. But at the same time, so, you know, going in, in phases, like freelancing is a risk, yes. But over time, uh, if you're smart with your money and uh, don't spend everything on takeaways every day of the week, you can set aside some money, just some runway, some emergency fund to kind of, you know, use for, for those days where you maybe decided to go independent and try something new. And then, uh, yeah, obviously, uh, niching down is a risk at face value, but I don't think it actually is. It's a way to, you know, it's like, saying being a designer uh, let's just put the same example being a designer is a risk but if you specialize in um say user research or if you're a great interaction designer you're not going to be able to find as much work but actually people do appreciate expertise and, and knowledge and authority so yes it's a risk but it, it's really not it's a way of, of focusing on niching down is is focusing on one thing and trying to be really good at it 
Yeah. And I think a lot of clients actually appreciate that. I'm trying to think about myself sometimes when I need to hire some people to do a very specific work for me. What I'm actually looking for is someone who's done that work before. I am looking for someone who understands exactly what I need and someone who can prove to me and show to me that he or she has done that exact type of work before. So it's a bit similar, isn't it? That's what clients are looking for as well when they want to hire a designer. Absolutely. And that's what I do as well. What you just said, if I need to um, subcontract uh, some work or anything like that, I need to be really specific with my instructions, of course. But I'm looking for someone that, that really knows what I'm talking about. I'm looking for the person that asks the right questions. And you know, I, I know that's the right person because um, I've experienced it before. Okay, you've gone down a niche. There are many niches to choose from. What attracted you to fintech? Uh, well, first and foremost, is I think the the main thing about it is for simplicity, the, the transition between working in financial services and, and prop tech made it simple for me to just kind of uh, sit down and say, okay, what what did I work on? What do I have knowledge of? Uh, how what kind of industry industry do I know the most so far in my life? And that was it, you know, so that's quite a clear cut decision, pretty simple. On the other side of things, when you know, I, I like to think about the why of things. So why did I want to work in fintech? And on a more philosophical level, I, I like helping people. I like the idea of improving people's lives through improving their finances, but I'm not a financial coach or anything like that. And nor I, I'm, I'm close to, you know, being able to do something like that. But what's the best way to do that? Because I've got, you know, really interested in finance and, and things like that on, on personal finance. So I decided to expand that to my work life as well, in a way. So um, on that level, it's, you know, I like I would like to help people improve their education and financial literacy and things like that. So it sounds like it was a bit of a natural choice for you with what you enjoy doing and what you're good at, right? Made sense. Yes. Yeah. So for how long have you been trying to niche down in fintech right now? Yeah. Uh, so in the last, say, I went freelance in um, November last year. And I started working in fintech. Like I started, I decided to work in fintech maybe after three months or so. So would you say that right now you have a much better understanding of what your type of client is struggling with? Or are you still learning? Yeah, both, to be honest. Uh, it, it's a little bit at a time. I do understand uh, the problems um, of potential clients, but there's so many different facets. There's so many ways you can go about it that I'm still understand, trying to understand and learning what, you know, what they're looking for, what they struggle with. Yeah. Considering you've worked in-house and now you have some experience as a designer on the freelance side, are there any differences in how designers in these two different situations tackle design or anything that you can highlight from your experience yeah so i think so obviously it's 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 very different but there are similar similarities in a way that the way you need to organize your work uh the way you need to think about the uh, different people in the company you know the, a good designer is as i said earlier i think it's a connector between the different parts of the business I think that the, what is similar is that you need to, well, it's actually the same thing. You need to deal with people, uh, maybe at a different capacity when you're in a company, the way you need to know your audience, 
it's the same for when you're freelance or when you're in-house because you need to know who you're speaking to and what they want from you. And you need to decipher that sometimes because people are not really that great at communicating in general. So you need to understand what they're trying to get from you. And you do that both with the client and with your stakeholder. You know, you do that with your project manager and other designers in your team. Communication, it's, it's a common theme. So let's stay on that communication path, because this is something that to me became apparent when I went and started freelancing myself, that the type of communication you need to be good at when you work in-house is slightly different than the type of communication that you need to be good at when you go freelancing. The reason I want to talk about this is because there's a tendency nowadays to think that if you're good at your craft, if you're a great designer, that's enough to become a freelancer or a business owner, because as a freelancer, you're nothing else other than a business owner. So what is actually necessary for you to be able to become a successful freelancer? Okay, that's yeah, that's a really good question. Personally, I think the way that someone can be a, a successful pr- a freelancer, to be honest, it's a change, a shift in mindset in a way that you need to wear, you really need to wear many different hats uh, when you're a designer, especially if you're a product designer and the, the most uh, modern concept of it, uh, you need to do everything basically. I think that what makes a difference is being an entrepreneur instead of trying to be just a designer. You need to take care of the marketing when you're a freelancer, you need to take care of sales. There's many parts of it that they don't teach you in design school, even if they, you know, they think they're going to... I didn't go to design school, don't get me wrong, but that's what I, I heard from most of the designers I spoke to that went to design school. And I don't know if you can relate to it, but basically what they do is they don't really teach you about real life. They teach you a set of skills. And then when you get out of it, you need to figure out how to be a person as well. So it's, it's kind of tricky, right? So I think in the same, in a similar way, when you're a designer in-house, you're kind of in a bubble, uh, you know, in, in the bubble in that industry, maybe, or that type of product you're working on. When you get out of it, start to work with different people and from different backgrounds and having to do all of that workload for, you know, to get clients and understand how to manage relationships and things like that. I think that's, that's the main thing about it, really, trying to learn more skills that are outside of design. So you're not just a designer anymore. You're a business owner. You're an entrepreneur. So that, that's, that's really important. So you're great at design, but you, you said sales. You've said communication, probably accounting is another one. What I want to highlight is that going freelancing is not as easy as just saying, I'm going to sign up to Upwork or I'm going to get a few freelance um, gigs online. It's so much more complicated. And I want to talk a bit about what's required from you as a designer who, let's say, is already good at design. And I want to go and become a freelancer today. I've quit my job. I have three weeks notice and I want to go freelance afterwards. Considering there are so many hats you need to wear, where do you start from? Uh, that's a great question. You know, I think obviously the more generic trial and error. If I were to go back, for example, I would actually, what I did was I sat down and, and wrote down what I wanted to get out of my freelance career, if you will but out of my life in general. And then I would try to fit things around it, right? So I want to become a, a business owner, but I'm a designer, right? So how do I use my design skills to do that? 
And so think about the transferable skills that you already have, which are plenty if you're a designer, and try to get some perspective on, okay, I know I maybe don't like sales as much, but I'm going to try, what, what can I learn, the minimum I can learn to be efficient at it? I don't like marketing, maybe. I don't like writing content. What's the bare minimum I can do? So, you know, start with small steps and then make a plan for it and try and ask someone that's more experienced than you. Once you have that, go and ask them, what do you think about this? Maybe be more specific than that. You know, that's nothing worse than someone just asking a generic question. It's, oh, I'm going to be really successful. How do I do it? You know, <laughs> what do you want to do? Like, what are you doing right now? So um, try to ask for help. Be open about your journey and trying to figure out from the get-go where you're trying to go. Then it's going to be valleys uh, and peaks from there. Uh, it's always going to be a, you know, a ride that you're going to find struggle, you're going to find success, and it's, it's all a balance at the end of the day. Truer words have never been spoken. I think another thing that I would add as an answer to my own question is something that I always recommend people to do is actually to have a runway. If you have a job in-house, Put some money to the side before you become a freelancer. Because when you don't have the pressure of having to think of where the next paycheck is going to come from, because you already have an amount of savings, you can actually take your time to build your business the right way. Because that's what it is. Being a freelancer is a business. You are building a business, a one-man business, but it's still a business. So I always say, if you don't have six months to one year of runway in which you can potentially get no work at all, and still survive, then I think it's not a good idea to become a freelancer because there's going to be too much pressure for you. And when there's too much pressure, you will make some mistakes that normally you wouldn't make if you wouldn't be under pressure, like, for example, underpricing yourself or ignoring important aspects of running your business like sales and lead generation and all that because you're spending all your time to try to find work. All these other aspects are important and having a runway allows you to attack all of them in the right way instead of being pressured all the time about where the next work is coming from. So that's on top of what you said. I think having a runway is also super important. And another example that I have is a lot of people start their careers by being freelancers. That's how I started. And looking back, I haven't during those years, learned as much as I would have if I worked together with other people. I just don't think it's a good idea to become a freelancer when you're in the beginning of your career because you're going to learn the most when you're working around other people. And if you're starting by working on your own, how are you going to learn? Yeah, that's, that's, such, a, um, that's such a great example. I think because we, we share that path, uh, you know, starting off as a freelancer. Initially, I was a web design freelancer. I think you know what made the most difference and really what uh, kick-started my career was to find a job, a full-time job, and work in a design team and exchange ideas and uh, confront your style of working with other people and trying to adjust and adapt to, to other people's needs as well. Because you're doing it with clients, but when it's, uh, it feels like sometimes you're on a different team than your clients, but when you work in a company, you're in the same team, you're working towards a common goal. And I think, yeah, it's super important to have the, those people around. And to be honest with you, just by seeing better designers when I started working full time, just by seeing how much better than me they were, 
it gave me a huge motivation to improve myself and get to that level, but not from an envy, envious standpoint, more like inspirational standpoint, say, okay, that's what's possible. I'm going to try and do that and maybe, you know, get even better. Yeah. And I think another reason you want to start like this is because by learning from other people and spending time around people who are better than you, you're actually becoming more confident in your craft as well. And I think that confidence is super important when you go and freelance and have to deal directly with the client. So let's talk a bit about dealing with the client and situations that you and I and every other freelancer has had many times in their career. So I have a couple of examples here. I just want to know how would you deal or how do you deal when this happens to you? Because I'm sure it has and I'm sure it will continue to happen. So you might have a potential client coming to you and in a way trying to downplay a little bit the work he needs done by just saying, hey, Rick, I have this project. I just needed to design 10 screens for me. That's it. That's all. Just 10 screens. How much will that cost me? And I think behind that, if you've got experience, you know there's a lot going on. It's not just about the way they're asking you to design those 10 screens, but by saying, by using the word screens, by downplaying the amount of work it goes behind, in a way they're subconsciously maybe saying that your work is actually not that hard. But we all know that design is much more than just what's on the surface. It's much more than just visual design. There's all that hard work behind. So how do you take a client from saying that to you to actually educating them and explaining to them that those 10 screens are actually much more than just 10 screens? <laughs> yeah, good one. Um, that's a good one. I don't know if that happened to you actually recently, but it's something that still happens, you know, sometimes. The, the way I go about it is, it depends. There's many variables. Do I feel like I want to educate this client right now? Have they reached out to me just with that, opening with that, or are they trying to start some kind of conversation? So it, it depends, right? Uh, do I have work at the time? So, But usually I would say, so if I'm busy, I would uh, direct them to maybe someone else. If I'm not busy and I do feel like there's a, you know, maybe it could be an interesting project, there's potential there. I actually flipped the question, uh, not even flipped the question because that's more of a command, right? Uh, I need this. Tell me how much do you want to get it done or how long is it going to take? Which is, yeah, it's, you know, it, it doesn't need to take that personal. It's like, that's what they think design is. So I flipped the question and just ask, you know, maybe how uh, you need to be some, some way, you know, some way you need to be challenging i think with your clients so you need to challenge them and if we get on a call uh, let's assume that i'm on a call with this person i would just try and ask why is it 20 screens what are we talking about trying to get a bit of context i don't really jump to okay what do you need to get done and try to get instructions from that if you're coming to me you need to understand that i'm a professional so i'm going to look at what you just told me at a, in a different way than you are uh, I'm going to have, you know, I, I have to look at the details, the specifics, try to understand the context a little bit more. So I do this on the phone with the client potentially and just ask them. I try to turn the conversation around and ask the questions myself instead of being asked something. Right? So I'm trying to understand the context a bit more and what they're trying to do. And if they have an actual problem, 
I can help them solve. Because otherwise, they can go into. Um, I had someone going through a, a whole sales pitch the the uh, the other day of their company uh, with slides and everything, and you know, it's it's not the same as starting a conversation around design because they. It, it needs to be there needs to be context before you start a call i think so it's really important to qualify the client before they actually ask something like that you just turn the conversation around and say okay let's jump on a call and, and do it that way that's why the, the way i do it if you want to do it in writing it's going to take a little longer but you know try to understand what they need to get done from your perspective instead of as um, you know just taking that as a as face value do you think this happens because there's a misconception of what a designer is and does? Yes. And to be honest with you, it's both our fault in a way or the way the, the industry has evolved or not evolved, you know, in many ways. And I think, you know, it's also, well, I think it's start from that, to be honest, because if you're really clear about what you do and what a designer is and what kind of designer you are, because if you're fine with, say, there's nothing wrong with, uh, you know, being a logo designer on Fiverr, Nothing wrong with that. But you decide to do that, right? So you know how it works. And you can also be really good at it uh, at one point, but that's where the price starts to become more evident that you know, it's going to be on the higher side and people are going to, you know, only get people with that budget contacting you. You're not going to get, you know, the people that say, they, they already know what, how that works most times when they're willing to spend that much on, on logos or, or things like that. Talking about budgets, one of the things that I've learned is that clients who are willing to pay more are actually the good ones. You would think that the clients who are willing to pay more would be more difficult to work with because they've paid more. But actually, it's the other way around. It's the clients who only have a couple of thousand pounds to spend that are really difficult to work with because one, maybe they don't necessarily value what you do. So they think that's, that's all the work is, is worth. Maybe the work is not that important to them. So they think, well, I'm willing to spend just that because I actually don't care about this. But maybe it's also a matter of when you only have a little money to spend, you're much more likely to want to be part of the process just to make sure that whatever's happening there happens the way you imagine it to happen. While sometimes you get a client who's willing to pay much more money for the same type of project and they don't bother you and you don't hear from them unless you call them or you take initiative. And to me, that's, uh, that was a bit shocking because I, I always thought it would have been the other way around. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting uh, observation. I think that there's something about being on a budget that puts you in a scarcity mindset in a way, right? That's the little money you have left sometimes. And, and, you know, people tend to get really close to it, attached to it. And they think that if they control what happens with you, I don't know, maybe they're going to get a better bang for their buck or, or whatever. But it's actually, you know, when you let someone do their work and don't figuratively put a gun to their head and you know, keep pressing them with questions and trying to understand, it's, it's going to be a much better result. The people that are willing to pay more are usually those that don't do that. They just say, do your thing. Or, you know, when they say do your thing, you need to ask questions. You can't just let someone say do your thing. Uh, but, you know, they're usually more chilled. Yeah. And I guess they, they know that by paying so much, they're working with a professional. I, th I think this happens subconsciously. If someone is charging you a lot of money, you're going to think, oh, it must be someone who is good at their job. I guess it's not very different than driving a Honda versus driving a Mercedes. 
the moment you pay for a Mercedes, you know, and you have a higher expectation, although it takes you from A to Z, it's exactly the same, but you have a different expectation of it because it was so much more expensive than the competitors would. So maybe it's the same. Yeah, I think it's a good analogy. How do you market yourself? You're a freelancer. Nobody does marketing for you. You need to do the work and you also need to find the work as a freelancer. That's yet another challenge of going on your own. So what do you do? So, okay, uh, it's, you know, it's different points, but to be honest with you, it's all around trying to keep things simple and, and connected in a way. And I'm going to explain you why. So I like writing. That's uh, something I discovered a few years into my design career. I like writing as much as I like designing, to be honest. And what I know, what I understood about marketing is that if you put yourself out there in a way that you're comfortable with, so you have your voice, you have your way of doing things, your clients can see that you're really transparent, can see your personal brand. They can see how good you are at what you do because you put passion in it. So the way I linked the things was I like writing, so I'm going to write a few blog posts, put them out there that initially were for designers and for my own audience because that felt comfortable. And then I decided to focus on LinkedIn. So the way the way I get clients at the moment is all through LinkedIn. And I write daily posts on UX and whatever comes to mind that's relevant to my niche. And that's basically how I market myself. That's all I do. Here's the thing about that. When you do what you do and you do it well, and you do it over a specific period of time, what you're actually doing in front of your customers is that you're proving your expertise. So two years down the line, when Michael from X company realizes he needs a designer because he suddenly has a project, but he knows no designer at all, what he will remember is that this designer on LinkedIn once wrote a post that really landed with him and he's going to get in touch. So that's inbound marketing. That's just creating content that is useful for your customers without necessarily expecting anything in return. And if you do that, and if you do it well, it's going to pay off sooner or later. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. Uh, funnily enough, I got a message this morning about a post I published three months ago, which is, you know, it's hard to find on LinkedIn. You need to scroll through someone's feed for, for a while. And from a CEO of a company, I mentioned in that post. So it's, it's amazing. I think after three months, this person wants to talk to me and that's how it works on a longer term. I think it's, it's the best way to go about it. I think marketing has changed a lot. It's gone from that world where it was all about outbound and you're putting your name out there and paying for ads and being on TV or the Super Bowl ad or whatever it was, depending on your size of company. And it's going from that to everyone in the world being bombarded with advertising. It's, it's kind of like their banner blindness we have on the web. And nobody's paying attention to any ads anymore. But what people are paying attention to is individuals or businesses who are trying to help. And that's the new type of marketing. So I think for anyone who wants to start in freelancing, that's a good avenue. And it doesn't have to be only articles. Look, I don't write as much. I actually do a lot of videos because I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable on camera and I love it. It doesn't have to be one or the other. It doesn't have to be either one of them. It has to be whatever you're comfortable with. 
Some people are comfortable writing. Some are comfortable talking in a microphone. There you go, podcasting. Some people are comfortable writing short content. Then you go on Twitter or LinkedIn. So it's all about figuring out what you're comfortable with and then helping your audience that way. And the way you help them is by understanding what their needs are. And this circles back to what we were discussing earlier about your niche. You niched down. What that is making you is an expert in understanding what fintech customers are struggling with. So now you can create content to help them. So that's that circle of marketing uh, for a freelancer. You described it absolutely amazingly. So that's exactly what's happening there. And to, to what you said, you, you're into video, you like video. As long as you share what you know, uh, even if it's little, uh, as long as you share that and um, make your own opinion about it, I think you know that's, that's really uh, the most simple level. That's what it is. Uh, you know, writing or doing videos, it's just sharing knowledge and your struggles as well. I think it's just sharing the journey and just being you, just putting you in that in that content, whatever you're creating, is going to make a difference for the people that read it because they're going to relate to something. So if you're a person that swears a lot, don't hide Get, it. You know, Gary Vaynerchuk, you, uh, right? He, that's yeah. exactly what I was thinking. So just be you and uh, be unapologetic about being you. Just, you know, uh, not everyone is going to be the right fit for you and you're not going to be the right fit for everyone. I love that. I think that is a point that we haven't covered yet. When you create all this content to help other people, 100% there will be people who either don't agree with you, don't like the way you said it, don't like what you said. And it's important to take that with a pinch of salt. So I, I, I love you. You brought that up. Uh, that's super important. When you get a client on a call, a potential client on a call, how do you qualify that person? And how do you, are there any red flags that you know automatically, oh, this is going to be a, a problematic client? Yeah. Like sometimes it's just a gut feeling. Let's be honest. You don't have to, like I just said, you don't have to be liked by anyone. You don't have to like anyone. So sometimes it's just a matter of not getting the vibe from the call. You know, I'm a quite open person. I like chatting a little bit. And some people are more like to the point. I'm, I'm not, no jokes. So that's, you know, that's what we need to talk about. So sometimes you're not going to jive with that. Sometimes you just uh, realize uh, it's just a clash of personality maybe. But uh, in terms of qualifying, yeah, I'm quite clear at this point of what problems I can solve with what I do. So I just try to understand if there's a problem there that I can help with. And I try to do that quite quickly. You know, I like to get on calls, even if it's short ones, just to ask a few questions to see if there's a fit on that perspective. And, you know, sometimes I, yeah, I just ask a few questions. It's a very consultancy-like approach, you know, where you ask, you know, if you ask a consultant, they try to understand what the problem is, the current situation, the desired situation, and you're the person that bridges that gap, right? So the questions are usually structured in a way that will get me to understand if I can help, and if I do, then it goes into uh, more interesting things to talk about. Amazing. Rick, we're nearing the end. I have two more questions. Everyone who's on the show gets asked this. So the first one is, what's one thing you wish more designers would know? 
I wish more designers, well, I speak for myself. I wish I knew more about human sciences and psychology. And that's a topic that fascinates me a lot. And I wish more designers were interested in it because I think there's a lot of potential in, in knowing more about that for our profession. Awesome. And last one, how do you reckon the future of design looks like? I think it's going to be like a sci-fi movie where designers collaborate with scientists uh, to create the best interfaces for retina displays in a way that it's in your retina, it's not on a device. So create like something like that. It could get creepy quite quickly. It's um, Black Mirror. It's, it's very Black Mirror-like. More positive, you know, it's just like it's meant to be working with humans. I see what um, Elon Musk is doing. So, okay, well, eventually, let's say, let's see if it's that that's within our lifetime. We will see. Rick, uh, thank you so much for being part of the show. Where can people find you, get in touch with you, read your stuff? I haven't been that active on Medium as of late, but I'm on Medium. And on LinkedIn, it's just Rick uh, Veronese. So it's V-E-R-O-N-E-S-E. And you can find me there. And, you know, just follow, connect. I'm, I'm happy to connect. And hopefully I'm, I'm bringing out something useful for people. We're going to put all this in the show notes so people can easily find you. Rick, once again, thank you so much for being uh, part of the first season of Design Beats Business. It's been a pleasure to have you here. And um, hopefully we'll chat again soon. Likewise, Christian. Thank you so much for having me. Cheers, buddy. Thank you. All right. So that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to the show. And since you've made it this far, I hope you found this useful. And if you did, you should know there's much more content just like this on the way. So if you want to learn more about how designers can impact businesses, please consider subscribing. And before I say goodbye, remember that you can find show notes and links for this episode and others on our website, designmeetsbusiness.co. Catch you in the next one.